We'll take our text this morning from 1 Corinthians chapter 13, and I'll read just a portion of verse 4. Charity suffereth long and is kind, charity envieth not. You probably recognize that verse from a few weeks ago. I begin a message on this chapter, realizing that there's so much here. There is no way to cover all this in one message. So, Lord willing, with His help, we'll continue where we left off. Just to quickly recap this chapter, 1 Corinthians chapter 13 is often referred to as the love chapter. Some have even thought this is a chapter that could be studied alone, but we know that it's actually a part of a larger letter that Paul had written to the church in Corinth, and they were dealing with some serious issues. They had division and strife among them, and so in the 12th chapter, just previous to this one, Paul was telling them he was going to show them a more excellent way, letting them know that what they were missing was love in the church. And in describing love, we know the first three verses show us the importance or the preeminence of love. And then in verse 4, Paul began to describe the characteristics of love or what love looks like. The first two mentioned in verse 4, long-suffering and kindness are positive characteristics And as you read through that chapter, you'll realize that Paul used seven positives and eight negatives to describe the characteristics of love. Of course, the first two are positive. It's long-suffering and it's kind. And then Paul, in an effort to help us understand what love is, began to explain to us what love is not. And we'll look at that first negative this morning. It says, charity envieth not. Charity doesn't envy. Charity is not jealous. The word envy means to boil within or to seethe with jealousy. It's a resentful awareness of an advantage enjoyed by another with a desire to possess that same advantage. And we know charity or excuse me, envy very quickly leads to covetousness, which is forbidden by God. This was a major issue in the church here in Corinth that Paul had to address. How serious a problem is envy? It's maybe something we don't really think a lot about, but some of the ancient church fathers listed envy as one of the seven deadly sins, so it is a very serious issue. In Galatians chapter 5, Again, Paul gives an account or a list of things that are described as the works of the flesh. And the Bible says that these things are sensual and devilish. They come from below, not from above. And he gives a list of those things, fornication, adultery, witchcraft, heresies, seditions, murder, and envying right there in the middle of that list ranks right up there with those other things mentioned. And it goes on to say that those who do such things shall not enter the kingdom of heaven. So we can see how serious a problem envy can be. What caused Christ to be delivered up to be crucified? Well, the Word of God tells us it was envy. 
Matthew 27, verse 18 says, For he knew that for envy they had delivered him, speaking of Pilate, and knew that the motive behind the scribes and the Pharisees was envy, and they delivered Christ up to be crucified. What caused many of the Jews to reject Christ? Well, again, it tells us in Acts chapter 13, verse 45, it was because of envy. It says, But when the Jews saw the multitudes, they were filled with envy and spake against those things which were spoken by Paul, contradicting and blaspheming. Envy was what, what got Lucifer kicked out of heaven. Satan wanted to usurp God's authority and place himself above God. And as a result, he was cast out of heaven along with a third of the angels. I heard one pastor say that when the devil and the angels fell from heaven, some of them must have landed in his choir loft because there was a lot of envying and strife among some of those in his his congregation. But uh, envy is something that we don't want to take lightly at all. And these were some things, this was the main thing really that Paul, one of the main things that was causing such strife in the church in Corinth we know that envy is div- excuse me envy is divisive 1 Corinthians 3 again Paul is addressing this group here in Corinth 1 Corinthians chapter 3 verses 3 and 4 says for ye are yet carnal for whereas there is among you envying and strife and divisions are ye not carnal and walk as men for while one saith i am of Paul and another i am of Apollos are ye not carnal The problem is they were dividing up into little groups and little cliques and separate camps. Some said, we'll follow Paul. Others said, no, we'll follow Apollos. And they were bickering about all of these other things and these spiritual gifts, and they were envious of one another. And this has added to the division and the confusion and the fractured state of the church there in Corinth. James says it a different way. He says, if ye have bitter envying and strife in your hearts, glory not. And lie not against the truth. In other words, if these things are in your heart, don't make a false pretense at being a Christian. Don't make a false profession of faith because envy and envy and bitterness and strife cannot dwell in the same heart where Christ's love dwells. So again, he says, if these things are in your hearts, uh, you have just a false profession of faith, really. They can't dwell in a heart, in the same heart where Christ's love abounds. It says, for where envying and strife is, there is confusion and every evil work. Anytime there is a church split, anytime there's a division or a fraction in the church, anytime there's any problem at all, if you trace it back to its root, you will find envy and jealousy are right there at the very basis of so many problems. Not only does it divide churches, it divides families. At the root of every dysfunctional family, there is envy and strife and jealousy. The Word of God gives us several examples. In Genesis chapter 4, we read the account of Cain and Abel. It says that when it came time to bring the sacrifice, God accepted Abel's sacrifice and He rejected Cain's. Why did God reject one and accept the other. It wasn't because God has favorites. 
God has no favorite children. God is no respecter of persons. The reason he rejected Cain was because of Cain's disobedience, and he accepted Abel's sacrifice because that's what he required. And God even gave Cain an opportunity. He said, why are you angry? If you do well, it'll go well with you. But if not, then sin lieth at the door. And yet we know because of jealousy and envy, Cain ended up taking his brother's life, all fueled by envy. We have Jacob and Esau. You know, almost from the very beginning, from the, their birth, it seemed like they were striving and competing with one another. And the parents didn't help either. Isaac, the father, said he favored Esau. Rebecca, the mom, favored Jacob. So we can see right almost from the beginning, they were pitted against one another. But that conflict was fueled by envy. Interestingly enough, that battle is still going on today. The descendants of Jacob and the descendants of Esau are bitter enemies to this day. And it was fueled because of envy and jealousy. We have in the New Testament the account of the prodigal son. We read about it in the book of Luke. And of course, we think often of the younger son and the emphasis is mainly on the younger son. He rebelled against the father and he went out and wasted everything that the father given him with riotous living, ended up in the pig pen. And like we heard last Sunday night, he had that moment of clarity when he realized I've sinned against my father and he was repented and broken and came back and we see the love and the compassion and the forgiveness of the father willing to welcome him back home. So it's easy to overlook the older brother. But there's an older brother in this story. It says that man, when he heard that his younger brother had returned and they made this big feast, it says he was angry and he wouldn't go in. He was jealous. He was envious. And he even told his father, I've been here all these years serving you faithfully, doing the right thing, and you never did anything like this for me, forgetting the entire time that he had been enjoying the blessings of his father's house. He'd had everything he ever needed. And sadly, envy kept him out of his father's house. He was as separated from his father as the prodigal was when he was out there in the old pig pen. It was because of envy. Tragically, down through the years, and we may even know of people who, because of envy, were left Father's house and remain out of Father's house from this day because of envy. So we know envy is divisive. Envy is also destructive. Envy is destructive to others. Proverb 27.4 says, Wrath is cruel and anger is outrageous, but who is able to stand before envy? Somebody said wrath and anger, it's kind of like a tsunami. It sweeps in suddenly, wreaks havoc, does its destruction, but it quickly retreats back to the ocean. And those who can survive its onslaught will usually live. Envy isn't like that. Envy doesn't retreat. Sometimes envy will often hide itself and it can last for years, building and continuing to plot and a scheme. Somebody described it as the silent assassin. It can go undetected until it's ready to strike. Envy is destructive. It's destructive to others who can stand against it. It's also self-destructive. It's destructive to ourselves. Like bitterness and unforgiveness, it's like a corrosive that 
destroys from the inside out. Proverbs 14.30 says, A sound mind is the life of the flesh, but envy is the rottenness of the bones. Envy shoots at others and wounds itself. In ancient Greece, the citizens of a certain city built a statue to celebrate a athletic champion. His rival was so envious that he vowed that he would destroy that statue. So every night he went out after dark with a chisel and he would chip away at the base of that foundation trying to get it to fall. Well, at last he was successful and that statue fell right on top of him. He was the victim of his own envy. But that's what envy does. It has a boomerang effect. We have examples in God's Word. Think about Haman hanged on the very gallows that he had built for the object of his own jealousy and his envy. We heard a little about Daniel in the Scripture reading. Daniel was a man who loved God, and God blessed Daniel and prospered Daniel. And Daniel was perfect in God's sight, not physically, but spiritually. He honored the Lord and says because of that, God gave him an excellent spirit, and he found favor with the king. Well, there were men in that kingdom that didn't like that. They became jealous and envious, so they hatched a plan to get King Darius to sign a decree that if anyone prayed to any other god or made a petition to anyone else for 30 days, they were to be destroyed, thrown in the lion's den. Of course, the king... This appealed to his ego, and so he signed it, not realizing at the time that he was signing Daniel's death warrant. He loved Daniel, but he'd been duped. He'd actually been played by these envious men, and according to the law of the Medes and Persians, once a decree was signed, you couldn't change it. So we know, into the den of lions, Daniel went. We also know, out he came. The Bible says he sent an angel to shut the mouth of those lions because Daniel loved and honored God, and God delivered him miraculously. But we also read the very next morning those very men who sought to do away with Daniel. It says they were gathered up with their families, and they were thrown into the lion's den. You talk about a plan backfiring. It didn't work out too well for them. And we know the lions had the mastery over them, and they lost their lives, and it goes on to tell us that Daniel went on to prosper in the reign of Darius and in the reign of Cyrus. So we can see envy leads to destruction, self-destruction. It's divisive, it's destructive, but you know what? It's also deceptive. Envy can make us believe that once we possess what someone else has or once we are better than somebody else, somehow then we'll be content But we know just the opposite is true. Envious people are never satisfied. If you continue to feed envy and let it cultivate, it just leads to wanting more and more, and it uh, never satisfies. It just leads to uh, wanting and seeking to take more. It actually will end up leaving a person empty-handed and empty and alone. It's deceptive because it's so easy to overlook. You know, it's easy to downplay envy. We don't really maybe even think of it as something very serious. It's easy to minimize its seriousness or its destructiveness. Some people might even just chalk it up to a character flaw or personality trait. The Bible lumps it in right there with adultery and fornication and murder. It's a very serious, serious offense against the Lord. 
And if it's left unchecked, it can continue to grow. There were once two men who were both seriously ill, and they were placed in a small room of a large hospital. They were placed together because of their illness. The room was just big enough for two beds, two bedside lockers, and there was one window in the room. And one of the men, as part of his treatment, was allowed to sit up for an hour a day to allow the fluid to drain off his lungs, and he happened to be the one with the bed by the window. The other man had to spend his entire days on his back just being quiet and still. Because they were so sick, they weren't allowed any visitors or any TV or radio or anything to cause them to be overstimulated. And, of course, as a result, they would talk for hours. and They became very close friends. They would share uh, the stories of their lives and their spouses and their families and their jobs. And in the following days, they became very close. Well... As part of one man's therapy, the one that was able to sit up for an hour a day, each day, each afternoon, he would describe to the man in the other bed about what he saw outside. And it said the other man began to live for those hours. The man by the window would describe a park with a lake and swans and ducks, and he could see uh, kids with their grandparents feeding the ducks, and he could see dogs chasing frisbees and uh, just stretches of flowers and grass. He could see the city skyline behind the park. And, and he says as he would describe this scene outside, the other man would live for those hours. He would just take it all in until one day, apparently there was some kind of a parade going on outside. And the man in the other bed thought to himself, why should this man be able to be the one by the bed? I should be the one that has the seat, the, the bed by the window. I should be the one who's able to see outside. And he began to have feelings of envy and bitterness, and he tried to put them aside, but he couldn't. They kept growing, and he would uh, think about those things, and eventually he would lay in bed at night just mulling over those things. He became very sour, and his health began to decline instead of to improve. Well, one night, the man by the bed woke up choking and gasping for air. And as he struggled to hit the call button, the man on the bed just laid there, just stayed at, stared at the ceiling, didn't move. Well, after a while, the choking stopped. Eventually, the gasping ended and was choked off. And the man just continued to lay there in the bed. The next morning, the day nurse came in to... Uh, clean them up and give them breakfast, and they found that the man, the man by the window had died. So they quietly took his body away, and as soon as it seemed decent, the man in the other bed asked to be moved to the window, the bed by the window, so they did that. And they tucked him in, made him as comfortable as possible, and left him alone to be quiet and still. The minute they had gone, he propped himself up on, the, on his elbow and painfully He looked out the window only to discover that it faced a blank wall. His envy, his jealousy against this friend, he actually ended up destroying the man that was ministering to him all this time. The one that had been sent there to encourage him and help him, but because he was blinded by his envy, that all ended for him. And he ended up with nothing himself. Envy is destructive. It will destroy, it will undermine uh, the blessings of others. Who can fix 
envy. Who can fix this strife? Who could fix the problem? What could fix the problem in this Corinthian church? Well, it's the same thing that can fix strife and envy in our hearts today. It's the very same thing that can fix the problems and the divisions in the church or in families. It's the love of Christ. It says, charity envieth not. You know, when we're saved, the love of Christ is shed abroad in our hearts. Envy and strife should cease. In James, it tells us that the spirit dwelleth, that dwelleth in us lusteth to envy. You know, we're born with a carnal nature. That nature tends toward envy and the things that are opposed to God. We're born in sin and shaped in iniquity. The Bible tells us that. And who can stand against envy? Well, we can't on our own. But think the Lord Christ's love can conquer that thing in our lives. Christ's love can change our very natures. Some people may struggle with us more than others, but the fact is the Lord can change the heart. And Paul was again in 2 Corinthians told him, if any man is in Christ, he's a new creature. All these old things are passed away. Behold, all things become new. He was writing them to show them the more excellent way. You know, they were they were trying to operate out of envy and strife, and it was destroying the church. It wasn't working for them. They were acting just like the world. So Paul was saying, I'm going to show you a more excellent way. Christ's love is the more excellent way. You know, envy makes us miserable when others are happy, and it makes us happy when others are miserable. That's how envy works. Love does just the opposite. Romans 12:15 says we're to rejoice with those who rejoice, weep with those who weep. Love celebrates and rejoices over the successes of others. You know, one of the tests of true love, if you know you have this genuine love free from envy, it's when we can celebrate and rejoice over someone else who does the same thing we do, only better. That's a challenge. That's a test, but that's the kind of love here that Paul was letting the Corinthian church know, this is what you need. This is what we need today. Can you imagine what would happen to the unity of the church if we all preferred one another, if we sought to bless one another and promote and build up one another? The problem was the Corinthian church, they were void of love and they had all this envy and strife, but Paul was saying, this is not the way it should be. I'm going to show you a more excellent way. And that way, of course, is to experience the love of Christ in our hearts. You know, envy will never give us what we want. It will only strip us of what we need. Well, what do we need? Well, if you're here this morning and you're not saved, you need to be saved. We need Christ's love. We need His forgiveness. We need His mercy. We need His grace. We need His compassion. We need His salvation. We can't have those things when there's bitter envying and strife in our hearts. But Jesus Christ came to destroy the works of the devil. Aren't you thankful for that? If you're struggling with those things, you don't have to live that way. There's victory. There's a more excellent way. Well, we need each other. We may not want to admit it all the time, but it's true. We need one another. The Bible says we're to bear one another's burdens, and in so doing, we fulfill the law of Christ. It says... We're not to forsake the assembling of ourselves together as some men do, especially as we see this day fast approaching as the coming of the Lord. 
draw us closer and closer. We need each other more than ever. We need that unity. We need that spirit, that bond of love. And we want to strengthen and lift up one another. God can help us to do that. Whatever you're struggling with, you know the Lord has the solution this morning. Love is the more excellent way. Love conquers every other thing. And that love is still available today. If you're unsaved, again, all you have to do is pray an honest prayer to the Lord. Humble yourself. Confess your sins to the Lord. The Lord will save you today. You know, being tempted to envy is not a sin. Temptation is not a sin. We're all tempted in certain ways. Christ himself was tempted. Tempted of the devil in the wilderness. Said he was tempted in all like manners we are. So at some point, Jesus, even in his humanity, may have been tempted to envy, but he showed us how to conquer those temptations through the Word of God. The more excellent way. Well, whatever you're struggling with this this morning, the Lord can help you. God has the victory. Aren't you thankful for the love of Christ? It can rule and reign in our hearts. It's available today. We can take advantage of it. We're going to sing 551. Let's come and seek the Lord this morning.